Welcome to Methods, a podcast from the ESRC National Centre for Research Methods. In today's episode, Professor Vernon Gale from the University of Edinburgh makes the case for researchers to share their code as well as their results in order to better replicate social science research. I believe that this sort of digital revolution has meant that there's now an unparalleled amount of data available to social science researchers. Um, Computers have become quicker and more powerful. There have been advances in software capabilities, and now storage is relatively cheap. So really, there's an unprecedented access to data, especially from the huge advances that that have been made with the National Archives. And at the same time, there's a sort of quiet revolution, if you like, in open access, which has meant that it's easier and easier to gain access to published research. And certainly in the UK, every university that intends to make a submission to the forthcoming REF um, has set up some form of repository providing green open access to publications. So the central argument of my talk earlier today was that although there's more access to data and to publications, there's a sort of black box in between And this is because there's a lack of access to the research code that has produced the research output. And I'm arguing for researchers to routinely share their research code. Can you just explain for us what you mean when you talk about research code? I mean providing sufficient information to enable uh, other researchers to understand, evaluate and build upon work. There should be enough information for a third party to reproduce, i.e. duplicate the results, without needing to get additional information from the authors. In practice, this will involve researchers sharing their command files, whether these are stata.do files, R scripts, SPSS syntax files, or even in my case, uh, Jupyter Notebooks. You talk about the final published published papers being a palimpsest of the research that's undertaken. Tell us what a palimpsest is, first of all, and then what it is you mean by that. A palimpsest is a parchment or other writing surface on which the original text has been effaced or partially erased and then overwritten by another Um, And there are some really uh, interesting religious and legal palimpsests on the web that are worth taking a look at. Um, So I've sort of invoked this idea. So there are lots of work goes into the research and there's usually a lot of code required to get the data ready for analysis, to undertake exploratory analyses, to estimate models and to present results. And some of this work or the traces of it are visible in the final publication. But the the final publication really is sort of superimposed upon it. So for me, the final published work is a sort of palimpsest of all the work that's that's gone on before, if you like. So let's dig a little deeper then into this whole concept of reproducing or replicating results. What's the thinking behind this and why do you argue that it's so important? Yeah, well, I'll take a step back and I'll first explain what I think are two important concepts associated with reproducible research. And following Nicole Jantz's terminology, I would say that work can be duplicated if sufficient information is made available, which ensures consistent results can be produced using the same data and the same analytical techniques. So duplication is stage one, whereas stage two is replication. And a replication study can duplicate the original work but can also further test the robustness of the original work by employing new data or additional data or additional measures and alternative techniques of data analysis. So duplication stage one, replication follows from duplication, that's stage two. And I'd say that reproducible research is important for a number of reasons. It improves transparency and allows the accuracy of the work to be checked but it also allows researchers to better understand, evaluate, and build upon the research. 
Yeah, the, the mission of, of my university, for example, University of Edinburgh, is the creation, dissemination and curation of knowledge. And the idea of reproducible research chimes in unison squarely with this mission. So what's the problem then, as you see it? What's getting in the way of achieving reproducible social science? Well, the Yale uh, Law School Roundtable on Data and Code Sharing back in 2010 reported that today it's impossible to verify most of the computational results that scientists present at conferences and in papers. So this is really quite serious. Most of us have a fond or maybe even a terrifying memory of being in primary school and being told, show your working out. You know, teachers were always standing behind me and saying, hey, where's your working out? But somewhere between primary school and postgraduate study, this requirement is evaporated in some way. Um, my acquaintance at UC Berkeley, Philip Stark, um, says we must move from a trust me to a show me culture. And if we think of something like the Royal Society's motto, it's, uh, I think it's nullius in verbum, take nobody's word for it. And, you know, why should we take anyone's word for it? Let's see their working out. So do you have any thoughts on what can be done to resolve the issue? And can you give us an example, say, of something that you've done your done yourself? Yeah, so, so for example, I would say that historically it wasn't possible to share research code within the confines of a paper journal. You know, so basically, the, you know, the journal set a limit of, you know, 6,000 words or 8,000 words. So it wasn't possible to do that. But we're members of the internet generation and, and it's now possible. There are a number of ways in which we could share research code. At the current time, if we do nothing else, we could make research code available via our university repositories. There are already important changes taking place. Um, providing research code, that the code that produced the publication is required by a number of high profile journals. And a large number of journals have signed up to the transparency and openness promotion guidelines. The climate is changing. Uh, many researchers have very clear and organised workflows which render their work systematic and allow them to duplicate their analysis and later replicate work. So a small step from having private reproducibility could lead to a giant step for public reproducibility if we routinely make our workflows public. So I would say, first of all, depositing annotated scripts that a third party can use to completely duplicate all of the results included in the published work is necessary. And checking, genuinely checking that a third party can duplicate the work is important. And you practice what you preach? Yes, I have practiced what I'm preaching here today. And for the talk today, I gave, a, um, the, I gave earlier today the files uh, to undertake the analysis, small amount of analysis that were done. So, for example, my StatAdo file and the relevant data files in several formats are available on my website. But I've also checked whether or not a third party, in this case, uh, two researchers, two early career researchers who were unconnected with the work, I checked that they could duplicate the analysis and, and understand my workflow uh, fully. So the information provided, I would say, should clearly state things like, um, you know, the, the data that we use, the source of the data and its release, um, so that someone is absolutely sure they're using the same data, should clearly state the software that's been used, including versions and libraries and dependencies, and certainly the R users will kind of know about the importance of that. And even something as detailed as what seed was set, you know, imagine something like bootstrapping was used. You know, we need to know exactly the seed that was set at the start for someone to be able to duplicate the work. And we should in include all of the script needed for enabling or preparing the data. It's what the, what the Californians call um, data wrangling. So all the effort that goes into getting the data ready, all that information should be provided. And finally, things like well-annotated codebooks detailing in variables should, should also be made public. So those are the, the things I think are fundamental for, for moving this forward in the immediate sense. So you're clearly walking the walk as well as talking the talk. What are the things that are getting in the way of other researchers doing this? 
Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure. I think many people can move to this quite rapidly, um, but you have to be committed to moving from a, a sort of trust me culture to a I have shown you culture. Um, so data, there's now more, much more open data. Uh, data is more, much more openly available from the National Archives and so on. Publications are increasingly open. Uh, what I'm saying is let's open up the black box in the middle. Let's share our research code and uh, let's be much more transparent about the the social science that we're undertaking. And if you could just sort of summarise for you what the benefits both to researchers and wider users of, of research would be if they were to adopt this approach, what would you what would you say? Well, I would say that the obvious benefit to both, to both, both academics and the wider research and policy community is greater transparency. So the ability to check the accuracy, accuracy of results and allowing others to better understand, evaluate, and ultimately to build incrementally on the research that we undertake. Vernon Gale was talking to Christine Garrington following his recent Edinburgh Q-Step Centre talk, Why the Paper is Just a Palimpsest, an Appeal for Reproducible Sociological Research. You can find details of the talk on the University of Edinburgh website and more information about Vernon's work on his personal site at www.vernongale.com.